Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. Apple versus Facebook. Amazon versus Microsoft. Google versus Apple only when Google isn't paying Apple. Facebook versus Google when Facebook and Google aren't busy tag teaming. It's all part of Tech's Big Dust Up, the latest cover feature by The Economist. The magazine's tech and business editor is ours for the hour. So please do stay tuned. Full disclosure is made possible by the support of Salomon & Ludwin, a boutique wealth management firm dedicated to helping families make smart financial decisions. You worked hard and sacrificed to create and build wealth. They treat advice given to you with the respect your journey deserves. For over 30 years, Salomon & Ludwin has earned a reputation of trust and confidence, recognized by Barron's as a Hall of Fame advisor. Learn more at SalomonLudwin.com. Heads up, our next live show with the University of Richmond's Robin School of Business will feature John Byrne of Poets & Quants, Mark your calendars, March 16th, all online. Look for details at facebook.com slash fulldradio. Enjoy Full Disclosure as a podcast on NPR One, Spotify, and on Apple at link fulldradio.com. Joining me from London, it's a pleasure to have her on again, is Tamsin Booth, technology and business editor at The Economist. The cover package is Tech's Big Dust Up. Talk about topical. A new phase in the global technology contest is underway cozy monopolies under fire, mostly from each other. Apple's duel with Facebook exemplifies a new form of rivalry. Deceit, subterfuge, high drama in Silicon Valley and across the globe. How are you? I'm super well, Raven. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you back on again. I think about this a lot with with people reflecting on one year of the global pandemic. If it had started off and you told me that the a uh, natural response to something like this would be an enormous market dive and then the most rapid kind of vindication and ascent of the big five or six tech players adding trillions of market capitalization while the rest of the global economy sputters i'm not sure i would have said that that's exactly what i'm you know seeing most in my crystal ball that's right i mean it's it's a it's a blessing and a and and in some ways something to worry about for these firms right because they've made so much money from the massive acceleration of digitization but at the same time it just focuses everyone's attention on how they are the world's great utilities that they have so much power and you know perhaps it's no accident that it's in it's in december uh, that we had the, the 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 really big antitrust suits against Facebook and Google. It just it it feels like a moment when they need reining in. I guess is the consensus opinion. You know, as you wrote, at first glance, nothing has changed. Tech firms enjoyed a lucrative 2020, and investors are betting more is to come. The 7.6 trillion dollars of market value of America's five tech giants implies their sales will double in the next decade. You typically don't see companies the likes of Apple and Facebook and Google and Microsoft. When you hit a certain point historically, as you look, you know, you kind of plateau. There's there's not much that can move the needle on these these hulking multinational giants. They have to acquire to grow. But if anything, these guys are becoming more and more indispensable. Google and Facebook dominant, dominate advertising. Uh, you know, Microsoft and Amazon dominate the cloud. Uh, retail handsets are dominated by certain people. Um, it's it's a I at least in my career covering the industry and covering the markets have never seen it 
as entrenched it as it is right now, well more so than it was in 99 and 2000. That's right. And and I guess, you know, what you usually look to see when you've got very powerful firms like this, you look to see the the, the young upstarts coming in and challenging them. And you're just not seeing that. You haven't seen that for a long while. And I think it's in many cases, of course, it's because they have bought those companies early, whether it's WhatsApp, whether it's Instagram, whether it's Fitbit now with Google buying Fitbit, you know, that you've had this repeated pattern of the giants buying up these little companies and growing them inside and, and, and sort of heading off challenges. But, you know, although the, the sort of narrative that we love to see, that the media love to see, and no doubt the folk who look at antitrust is the sort of David coming up against the Goliath. I think what you're getting um, is what we see, what we've done this great big analysis of and number crunch on, is the Goliaths fighting the Goliaths like never before. And that's the new thing. And so if you're a Google, what you're really scared of is Apple. If you're Microsoft, what you're scared of is Google or Amazon. You know, so I, I think we're, we're entering a, a new phase of more competitive intensity. You don't see big shifts yet. I mean, obviously, none of these companies are getting dethroned, but you can see the germ of um, of something new starting to take shape. Start with uh, Apple's handset, which started off, after all, nearly 20 years ago, was it, with the antediluvian iPod. And iteration over iteration, Steve Jobs, the late founder of Apple, kept adding functionality, photos, cameras, videos, and everything, and bam! By 2007, you had a truly disruptive technology. Apple dominated hardware and it, it controlled the architecture and the ecosystem and everything. But others, by coming in with apps and the App Store, effectively placed a kind of a Trojan horse, uh, a way of competing with Apple in there. Not only do you have Facebook Messenger, but Facebook comes in and buys WhatsApp. And over time, and then people are messaging each other over Instagram. What I'm saying is that, that it started mm-hmm. on the platform, the foundation of Apple. And over time, by dint of its operating system being so dominant, it of course had to let other people in, uh, be it Google Maps, be it other players. I know it's a bit elementary, but explain for our listeners how this blessing and curse of being the handset for the world is that you necessarily do have to open it up to rivals, oftentimes intimately. Yeah, but Robin, you we you know I think it's pretty clear that in phone operating systems and in app stores we have a massive competition problem, right? I mean, you've got the Apple duopoly in both of those areas, and and that's not great. And and you know, in our view of things, I mean, there's doubtless areas where there just isn't enough competition, and handsets is a is a great example of that. And I guess when you think of Apple and Google in app stores and the two iOS and Android, you're kind of harking back to a sort of an earlier period where the economists, we were actually saying the same kind of thing that we were having this newly competitive phase. And we actually called it a Game of Thrones that was going on. Mm. We had we had um, we had Appalachia, Amazonia, Netflix Nation, and so on. And there seemed to be a lot of hope back then, it was kind of around 2012, that you'd find that, you know, Facebook was going into search, Google was going into social networking. The market seemed a lot less likely to develop into these sort of really dominant duopolies of operating systems and phones. But that sort of period of of competition didn't really come to anything. So 
you know, Amazon, Google, they didn't get anywhere with hardware, particularly, you know, remember Microsoft's attempts, the Zune um, the against Zune, I, yes. remember, remember the Zune. It's a great um, paperweight if you still have one. It's a wonderful paperweight and doorstop. No, just take a <laughs> Everyone has their favorite examples, right? Whether it's the Zune or, or the or the Fire Phone is, is the Fire I mean, phone. even Amazon can quite happily talk about the Fire Phone and laugh about it these days. So you had a period back around 2012 where you know you seem to be getting the possibility of increased competition but that sort of came to nothing and then you have this period of kind of entrenchment i think that has then given rise to a real wave of antitrust scrutiny and action but what we see is that for the first time perhaps you've got these giants these five tech giants facebook microsoft apple google amazon Going after each other in their core businesses, not in not in the margins of things, not just in the kind of nice to have products. So you've got Facebook going into e-commerce. Now, if you talk to Amazon, they're noticing this. They're quite worried about it. Microsoft has, you know, nearly bought TikTok. Um, we just found out they nearly bought Pinterest. Apple is really seems to be kind of, you know, everything that Apple does is pretty secretive. So you can never really work out what they're doing, but mm. they really seem to be having a tilt at search. And I can tell you again, having talked to various people close to these companies, not to say at them, I mean, Google takes Apple and search very seriously. So if you look at the cloud, which is going to be one of the biggest tech markets out there, Amazon has dominated it for years and years. Now you have Microsoft's Azure go in. Amazon is absolutely spitting fire about this. And now you've got Google going in and kind of happily losing $6 billion a year with Google Cloud Platform. So cloud is massively contested. You've got Amazon rises and rises in digital advertising. As you know, Robin, over, well, it's about 60% of product search all happens on Amazon now. Google sees this as an existential threat. Amazon, in turn, is no doubt looking at going into social media itself. So what's new here is that they're going after each other's core businesses, the kind of the, impreg- the sort of seemingly impregnable fortresses of, of dominance. You know, you talk about impregnable fortresses. I think about you illustrating these companies' competitive designs. And let me tell you, I was born in Iran. Surely I have some Persian emperor in my bloodstream somewhere. I can't imagine, for example, if I was the benign, benevolent emperor of ancient Persia, that I would have I would set my sights on South America or Aztec land. I mean, it doesn't make sense. Some of it is just not contiguous. If you think about Apple and search, or I, you know, this is a segue into my next question. I look at a company like Amazon, which started off retailing books and compact discs when I first crossed paths with it in the mid-90s. I can't tell you what it is today. You could broadly call it an e-commerce company, but as you describe in the story, it is a cloud computing colossus. I mean, it is the infrastructural backstop for so many content streamers and other e-commerce companies. It owns Whole Foods. It owns Audible. Yes, it sells books, parenthetically, but it also has, as you describe in your story, a burgeoning advertising business. So let me start with that meaning of life question with you. What exactly is Amazon in 2021? Well, I'll sum it up for you really, really simply. It's a massive e-commerce business that makes very, very little money where workers want to unionize. 
So, I mean, really, that business. I mean, it's it's. I wrote a profile of Amazon recently. I mean, it's a, it's a it's a business that's kind of too good to be true for customers. I mean, Jeff Bezos really had it right when he, you know, he obsesses over customers. I mean, in a way, he just he doesn't obsess over profit margins enough. So you've got this incredible e-commerce, massive e-commerce business that is pretty low margin, and then you have this unbelievable cloud operation which they invented from out of nowhere that you know makes a lot of their operating profit. No, but it it is truly subsidizing the rest of the business. It's truly yeah. subsidizing Whole Foods grocery delivery. And uh, I would, you know, I would say, Tamzine, that there's probably a Jeff Bezos exceptionalism. He toggles in and out of being the world's wealthiest person recently uh, with Elon Musk of Tesla. But uh, for a while, at least, Wall Street has not measured him as it would a retailer or a traditional technology company. It is such an empire. It's such a, uh, a amalgamation, just a cobble together of, of market shares. And you mentioned the Fire Phone. It's something where they're even self-effacing about it right now that, yes, that was experimentation, but what's a hundred, you know, million dollars among friends? Like we need to fail. Every day has to be day one. It must be very vexing to his competition, which is everyone, that he is not measured on the same benchmarks that they are. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, to 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 finish off the description, so yeah, you've got this e-commerce juggernaut plus a cloud business which which supplies a lot of the money, and then you've got digital advertising. That growing business that I mentioned that has stratosphere, you know, by Amazon standards. I mean, I, they probably don't even know what to do with that kind of profit margin. It's so huge compared to their normal operations. But I mean, just to, to get back to, to that point about what are these companies now? You know, they're kind of a bit unrecognizable from what they, they first were. So, and you mentioned also the colossal valuations that they have from the market. But the thing is that investors don't give them an easy time. And to justify those valuations, they have to keep on finding the next source of growth. They've got to diversify. And so we ran the numbers. And if you look at the share of the big five companies, the share of their revenues that overlaps with each other has gone from 22% up to 38% since 2015. And, and, and so they're all just getting into each other. They're stomping on each other's territory taking each other on in, on in all these different markets. And I mean, if you if when you talk to them about this, they, you know, they get a little defensive because no business wants to be thought of as copying other people or kind of getting into a business because someone else is in it. But candidly, some of them will quite openly say that if you see something like um, Instagram or WhatsApp just sort of growing massively from a, something tiny into a juggernaut in a really short space of time, you'd be crazy not to try and do the same thing yourself. And the other thing is that because they're data fuel businesses with you know hundreds of millions, in some cases billions of users, it's incredibly cheap and easy to go from one bit of the digital world into another. So the, the forces that are pushing these companies onto each other's territory are really, really powerful and only likely to, to intensify. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. You are listening to Tamsin Booth, the economist, technology and business editor. She joins us from London. Her cover package the story reads tech's big dust up it's on the ascent the dominance the hegemony of big tech uh, amid the pandemic within a year of the pandemic i have to ask you zero in on on that which is getting the most amount of press and you wrote an essay about it too apple versus facebook why is that what is it about facebook that makes itself so noxious to apple which after all is the dominant mobile handset maker and uh, platform owner in ios is it that 
Facebook has so dominated several apps. Again, it bought WhatsApp. It has Instagram. It has the messenger service. Is it that it, uh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg, the founder and CEO of Facebook, has been brought before Congress after every privacy dust up that he's just a ripe kind of bet noir to take on? Well, th- well, this if, if you if you'll allow me to to go just a tiny bit wider first before getting onto the Facebook Apple Please, yes. specifics. So this is another big plank of our argument. So it's not just that these companies are actually fighting each other in their businesses. It's also that they've just we seem to have entered a time of new feuds and battles between these companies. So. I mean, the, the, the tech industry has had lots of bitter rivalries. So Steve Jobs famously said that he was going to go thermonuclear on Google back in the day because he thought that Android was a ripoff of iOS. You had the long battle of um, Microsoft v. Apple, and then you've got Microsoft v. Google. So, I mean, it's just really worth noting the significance of this Facebook-Apple fight. I mean, it's the biggest and looks likely to be one of the best we've had for, for a long time. I mean, what is it about? Well, it's 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 really about an evolution in Apple's business model. As Apple itself is looking towards the future and diversifying into services um, and into into new avenues away from just merely hardware, you know, privacy is just becoming its essential brand value and how it sees its future. So as privacy becomes more and more important to Apple, it's changing its own rules because remember, Apple itself created the technology that allowed third parties to track your use of apps through its app store. So it's now changed its mind. Because privacy is becoming so important, it's changing the rules. And that change in the rules has a massive impact on Facebook. So it's Apple that's changing rather than Facebook. But of course, clearly, Facebook's reputation at this point is somewhat more questionable than that of Apple, to put it mildly. So you know, we tend to criticize Facebook for anything around privacy, whereas Apple kind of gets given the benefit of the doubt. So how does it work if I'm on an iPhone and I have, uh, if I do a Google search, for example, is and I have Facebook and Instagram installed on it, is are, are these Facebook apps harvesting the information I'm searching for on Google to kind of throw advertising-backed pitches at me? And all of this is being suborned by Apple? In fact, you say that Apple may have created the the idea or the technology. What Facebook is in such an uproar about, and and Google as well, but much more privately, is is upcoming changes in the in iOS fourteen, which will basically allow users, iPhone users, all Apple hardware users, to opt out of being tracked. And it's sort of one of those things where if you if you, I mean, they haven't quite asked the question of do you want to be tracked across the internet in a really creepy way. But they may as well have done because the result is going to mean most people are going to opt out of being tracked, which means that you really damage um, the ability of advertisers to send you personalized advertising. And in particular, Facebook argues that this is going to really reduce the ability of small businesses to serve up targeted advertising in the way that large brands have been able to do. So it's sort of being able to offer personalized ads has been a real kind of leveler of the playing field between tiny business and massive business. And I think Facebook has a point in, um, in, in, in calling that out. But of course, Facebook is the one reaping the rents on that. Facebook and Google have effectively a duopoly in online advertising. So is it a bit specious to say that it's... And I've seen the ad campaign from Facebook with the floppy disks 
and everything that this is going to kneecap small business first and foremost. I mean, who's collecting the profits of this advertising duopoly? It's Facebook and Google. I think, (laughs) to me, I look askance when they say that by Apple giving you the option, which I would assume a lot of Apple and smartphone users would assume that maybe they're not being tracked. So when you give them the toggle of saying, would you like, you know, you're being tracked and everything, it's, it's an honest thing to do. Do you see? Do you see kind of the miasma that I'm getting into? It's a it's a selective disclosure, I think, by by people who think that they're oh, Facebook is great. I'm getting into this and everything. Are you the customer? Or are you the product? That's what it gets to. Yeah, but Facebook has a really nice argument that sort of touches on issues of inequality and elites and so on that I rather like, which is that you know, Apple can afford to destroy personalized advertising and the value of advertising because it has its wonderful $1,000 iPhones to sell. So I, I, I think, you know, Apple has this luxury of not needing an ad model, but, you know, Google and Facebook, as you point out, they have a, they have a whole business built around it. And advertising is the lifeblood of commerce. You know, there's nothing, I mean, Apple will, will say it, well, Apple will certainly regard advertising as a as a noble business, but they have a luxury because of hardware that these other firms don't. Full disclosure, stay with us. Full disclosure, I'm Robin Farzad. We are joined from London by Tamsin Booth, the technology and business editor of The Economist. The cover feature is Tech's Big Dust Up. It's all about big tech, the big five, the big 10, whatever you want to call it. Tamsin, I want to quote from the essay, The industry from the outside leaves an impression of a cozy club whose members stay out of each other's way, or worse, help one another perpetuate their monopolies. And the giants are only becoming more powerful. Last year, the world's 10 biggest digital firms by market value raked in net profits of $261 billion as people depended on them for socially distant work, play, shopping, and socializing. Their combined market capitalization swelled by $3.9 trillion more than the entire British stock market, implying that investors expect them to gain further clout. Again, that's kind of a blessing and a curse. You have this hegemony and this dominance, but is it maybe that you need to become more aggressive and you need to cannibalize the other big five, as you say, to justify these nosebleed valuations? I think that's absolutely right, you know, and that's that's the central plank of our thesis that these um, these tech giants are stomping on each other's turf like like never before, and that's that's creating a different reality. But I think you you know you can't forget that the overwhelming impression um, that's being left right now is about collusion, not competition. And I want to be really clear about that because in sort of late last year we got wind of two big deals between first Apple and Google and between Facebook and Google, which just created this impression of real sort of back scratching and, and kind of behind the scenes deals between these firms. And I mean, if I can just summarize them really quickly. So, so it came out that Google pays Apple um, between $8 billion and $12 billion a year to be the default search engine across wow. Apple's devices. You know, that's wow. a ton of money. I mean, I think the industry was really quite aghast at the scale of the payment. It's about a fifth of, um, of Apple's global profits. So that created a big impression. And then the other deal that people are talking about um, massively is one between Google and Facebook, in which Facebook was kind of on the verge of creating a rival to Google's ad tech platform that would have benefited news publishers. And then Google and Facebook did a deal with each other, you know, under which Facebook went with Google's after all. And 
By the way, the deal itself contained provisions stipulating that if either firm was investigated for antitrust around this deal, that each other, they would both come to each other's defence, which you know, is not a great look. I mean, clearly, you know, so those are the two deals that have created this impression of collusion. And of course, you know, in the media and among, among antitrust experts, I mean, you get two deals like that. And the impression created is so enormous that it sort of clouds everything else. And so the impression overwhelmingly is of monopoly in digital advertising, monopoly in search, monopoly in operating systems and app stores, plus some collusion. But I guess what we're trying to do with our piece is just remind people that probably the balance of cooperation, collusion versus competition and battles, you know, is is nowhere near that. I mean, it's it's not as if it's like 80% collusion among the tech giants. The reality, we think, um, and if you talk to, you know, Wall Street observers of the scene, talk to the tech executives themselves, I mean, obviously you have to discount what the executives say to a certain degree. But we reckon it's much more realistic to think that the balance of competition versus cooperation and collusion is more like 80% competition, 20% kind of cozy deals and fond and, and, and sort of um, cooperation between each other. So what I think what's interesting is that there's both more cooperation than you might expect between these companies and more competition between them. And when you talk to tech executives at really senior levels, you know, the impression you get is really one of paranoia about what the next door tech giant is going to do to you. You know, it's sort of how can I de-Google my company? How can I create a kind of a, a, an independent ecosystem that doesn't rely on any any of the other platforms. It's really very far from the reality that, is, that some are suggesting of sort of deals being stitched up between each other. So it seems like to that end, the past year has really vindicated this white knight from Canada, which might not be a household name, but Shopify. It does get mentioned in this story. For those who maybe small businesses or merchants who want to hang a shingle and say, I don't want to put I don't I want to de-Amazon my business because as you've described before, Amazon might be my biggest ally right now, but once it figures out my margins and my jig will come up with a private label version of my product and put me out of business. So meanwhile, out of Ontario, Shopify comes in as everything goes online in the past year, it becomes enormously valued. I think it's worth more, well more than $100 billion out of Canada, kind of as an exogenous player. Indeed, it's worth $155 billion. And there's hope, I would say, Tamsin, for the, uh, the wild cards, the dark horses. And Give you another example. I know I'm talking your head off because that's kind of what your beat lends itself to is so much competition and feeding frenzy. Zoom. If I had believed that these dominant platforms such as Google, Microsoft, you know, Facebook, everything, they were so entrenched, a Zoom would not have been possible. Something happened in March of 2020 that everyone flicked on Zoom. It wasn't FaceTime. It wasn't Skype, which is owned by Microsoft. Any of those people could much more have easily, with their user bases, had done what Zoom did. But indeed, people went to a third party that is not owned by any of these big five. That's so right, Robin. I mean, I think it's incredibly hopeful. I mean, Shopify, I mean, you know, not only has its market cap gone up to 150 billion, as you as you mentioned, but it's now got a tenth of the American e-commerce market. In 2015, it had 170th. And Shopify are very pointed about what they're trying to do. I mean, they've said, their boss has said that they're trying to 
arm a rebel alliance against Amazon. Mm. And Facebook is working with them. Walmart is working with them. So, you know, it's like the friend of my enemy is, is my friend in, in, in a lot of cases. So, so Shopify is, is very much up and coming. And Zoom, absolutely. Who could have foretold that it wouldn't have been Microsoft Skype that would have got all that business? And Zoom itself is now building itself into a full service platform. It's it's rapidly going up and down the stack to and, and no doubt will take on these giants more directly in future. Tamsin, what about the old kind of, you know, let's call them rust belt or brick and mortar stodgy players that have had such flush years or a couple of years that are investing aggressively in e-commerce and digital. I'm talking about Walmart, which was not just really vindicated in the time of recession, even though its its online business is nowhere near what Amazon sells. It is investing aggressively in e-commerce platforms, logistics things. It occasionally makes an e-commerce purchase. This week, you know, this idea that it's going into banking aggressively, it took a person that there are flush market cap billions and hundreds of billions and trillions to spend on potentially acquiring the likes of Shopify. That's right. So Walmart doing so well um, in online commerce, Best Buy, Target. I think it's it's really fascinating to see that, of course, it's been a worry that the stock market broadly is too focused on these handful of of tech giants, the, the GAFA firms. But what's really interesting is that I think you're starting to see the really much more venerable companies from the pre-internet days get their act together. And you've, you're even getting the, the Wall Street lot finding companies. John Deere is an example, known for its tractors, I believe. Estee Lauder, um, L'Oreal. You're beginning to see that some of these you know, venerable names are actually tech companies. You know, there's, we're, we're going into an era where any company can be a tech company if you migrate successfully online and start to use those digital synergies to go into new businesses. The, the sky's the limit. I mean, it's, it's just, you know, as Facebook explained to me and Amazon as well, you know, with digital businesses, you don't have to build a new factory to enter a new territory. You know, you, you, all you have to do is present something to your existing users. So it's incredible that the sort of what, what's known as pivot flexibility is, is really, really strong um, in the digital era. You can just move really swiftly. So pivot flexibility versus, and I get into business school jargon at this point, it's kind of critical mass of, of network effects. I'm showing you on the camera the credit card holder on the back of my iPhone. And it's, I don't carry a wallet with me anymore. If I go somewhere, I still have to pull out a credit card, even though I'm on an iPhone, even though I have Google Pay and these other things. No one uh, in the, what did you call them, GAFA, FANG, F-A-A-N-G, Google, Apple, Amazon, Facebook, those likes, none of them have dominated payments yet to the point that it, it occurs naturally to us to just pull out an iPhone and pay for anything like it does in much of China with their payments infrastructure if you go to a Singapore or South Korea. That's right. I mean, look at payments. I mean, every single one of the giants has their payments option. Um, and yet you've got PayPal. You know, maybe PayPal is sort of equivalent of, of Zoom or Shopify. PayPal is just going gangbusters. Um, and certainly offering the giants a massive run for their money. And it's really, and if you think about payment, it's just really, really fascinating to look. If you, if you separate the tech industry into kind of 20 or so different sectors, 
So you make a long list, you know, from um, video conferencing to smart speakers to autonomous vehicles, and you make a list of those 20 sectors. And then at the top of it, you put the giants along in a row. You'll see that most of the giants are operating in nearly all of those subsectors. It's really quite astonishing. And there's one um, Wall Street analyst at Bernstein, Mark Schmulek, who thinks that actually over time, you know, you might come to have a kind of almost identical five companies mm. with, with offerings in every single subsector. And again, you know, it's not as pretty a story as some little company out of a garage run by someone in a hoodie, you know, coming up and challenging them. But from a consumer's point of view, if you've got the five giants plus some more competing in every single area, that's a lot of choice. It's a lot of innovation um, and a lot of kind of different offerings. Tamsin, I have to ask you about the big A word, and I'm not talking about Amazon or Apple in this case, but antitrust which you flick at several times in the story. I am old enough to remember the Justice Department going after Microsoft at the turn of the century for, I guess, a, a belated complaint of not sharing its desktop or, or using a, the Internet Explorer browser to kind of turf out Netscape and, and other players in the browser wars. Of course, by the time Thomas Penfield Jackson and other people intervened, there were some people whispering in 2000 that it would be a repeat of the breakup of Ma Bell. AT&T in the early 80s. Nothing like that happened. My point is that over time, tech moves so quickly that it obviates antitrust. Like You're not going to get anything done by a senator brandishing a compact disc at Mark Zuckerberg. Like, I know what you're doing, right? Um, and yet at the same time, as you do describe it, it's effortless for these guys to pivot into other things, snuff out third-party players, and never have you know five or six companies dominated the market in terms of market share and market value and uh, competitive share the way these players do in the year 2021. So how is this being whispered about antitrust? Do you see them being taken on? The EU obviously has made waves with going up against Google and Facebook, but in the United States, it's not an immediate concern at the very least. In the United States, it's not an immediate concern. I don't see like they bring Mark Zuckerberg up before Congress whenever something happened with the election or there's another privacy concern. Do you really hear about Facebook being broken up here? Do you really hear about, well, there are two players dominating online advertising. And as you talked about, there may have been evidence of collusion between them. You know, there, there, there seems to be saber rattling about it, but you read the Wall Street reports and everything, and it's not immediately in the offing that any of these big five or six or 10 are going to be broken up. There's quite a few things to say about antitrust. I mean, to your point about the market moving sometimes quicker than regulators, I think there's a strong case to be made that that could be what's happening right now. So there's an antitrust expert, Nicholas Petit in Europe, who has a book out called Molligopoly, who argues exactly that we're getting this kind of competitive, massive competitive dogfight between the tech giants. And as we point out, a more competitive phase for the tech industry. And it's taken the regulatory agencies a long time to, to get to the point where the antitrust suits are being launched in the US. So in December, you have um, multiple ones against Google and Facebook. So there does seem to be a bit of a time lag that at the very moment, antitrust is really getting its act together to, to lodge the suits. Um, in a way, the market has moved on already. And in terms of what we're going to see as outcomes, I mean, it is very hard to prove antitrust allegations. So I think that's probably why 
and you're not seeing, I mean, although investors in the tech giants see regulation as one of the massive business threats out there, you're not really seeing these antitrust cases have put much of a dent in the company valuations, that's for sure. And on the subject of Microsoft, which again was targeted in the year 2000, and that fizzled, nothing amounted out of that. What transpired in the 10 years following that was that Microsoft largely missed mobile, that operating system dominance that it had in the desktop and the laptop with Windows and Windows 2000 and Windows Vista and everything else. Apple comes in with the Trojan horse of the iPod and the iPhone and everything, and iOS starts to dominate. And if anything, its computer business, which was very nearly bankrupt in 1997, ends up controlling much of the world. And we're talking about this big, fearsome iOS update now and Facebook being scared of it. To take it back, what is Microsoft today? It's worth $1.75 trillion. I don't know if I'm uh, statistically significant, Tamsin, but I haven't bought a Microsoft product in maybe 20 years. I know that they're intensely involved in the cloud. I know that they've had a leadership change. I know that it doesn't seem to affect Wall Street or tech anymore, that they don't have much dominance on the smartphone, and yet they're in some ways synonymous with cloud, which is you know multi-trillion dollar business. Robin, Microsoft has played a blinder on antitrust. And yeah, you know, you haven't bought their products, but it's enterprise software. It's in everything you're using, you know, productivity-wise, the cloud, um, it's there in the background. And yes, Microsoft had one of the longest antitrust battles in history. As you say, it was kind of already in trouble and missing the boat, even as that was coming to an end. And so it was the market which evaded it. So it was Apple that proved the problem for Microsoft rather than antitrust in the end. And it's really interesting to see that um, Microsoft boss Satya Nadella was, was notably not hauled before Congress last summer as the bosses of the other tech giants were. Um, and that reflects the fact that they are very, very canny at not putting themselves in the antitrust spotlight. It's because it's enterprise software. It doesn't kind of grab the headlines in the way that, you know, search a search monopoly does or digital advertising and so on. And Microsoft are also extremely skilled at presenting themselves as a, as a kind of a brilliant corporate citizen. They just don't attract the, the kind of attention that Facebook does for being close to Donald Trump or Google does for kind of deplatforming conservative thinkers or, or whatever it is. But then Microsoft will be very, it was very interesting to see Microsoft uh, nearly buy TikTok last summer because that would surely have put them a bit more in the eye of the storm. People forget they paid a pretty penny for LinkedIn. It's not like anyone really breaks out LinkedIn earnings in Microsoft. This is Maybe they they paid whatever twenty five thirty billion dollars for LinkedIn. It's the the company is worth one point seven five trillion dollars. And I also wondered in reading this, are they not taken aback by the fact that Google came in and if you're on Gmail, you can avail yourself of Google Docs, which obviates the need for Word and Excel, which was a cash cow for Microsoft. Or maybe I'm dating myself. Maybe I'm thinking about the old non cloud connected desktop turn of the century world. You know, I'm an old man, but I think about these things. But actually, let me quote something from the story, which answered much of my consternation. Direct competition is fiercest in the cloud, a $63 billion business expanding at an annual rate of 40%, which Wall Street expects to become a trillion-dollar one within a decade or two. Jeff Bezos, Amazon's boss, once joked that Barnes & Noble understood within months it had to copy Amazon's Kindle e-reader, but it took his genius techie rivals years to twig they should ape Amazon Web Services. They got there in the end. 
Microsoft's 11-year-old Azure cloud computing division rakes in an estimated $20 billion a year in revenue. Wow. Having uh, said that, having written all this, I, I will leave the, the mic to you uh, for the, the final 10 minutes we have, Tams. And where are we headed? I, again, taking it back to the top of the episode, I could not have foreseen that a year of global contagion and plague would have entrenched. I mean, the haves of tech became the, the have-everythings. And the disparity, if you look at market capitalization statistics, market share statistics, profitability, comparative profitability, it's never been in this sharp of relief. Where are we headed? It's an excellent question. I guess, but you've got to think from the consumer's point of view, where a period of greater competitive intensity means more and better products. So it's good news. I think um, on the regulatory front, I mean, while I, I carp that the antitrust folk could have acted sooner, I mean, after all, Facebook did have WhatsApp and Instagram, and their purchases were scrutinized by antitrust regulators at the time, but were waved through. Obviously, Microsoft um, had a huge go at Google back in the day before Satya Nadella took over for antitrust concerns. No one did anything about it. So when we look at the future, I think that the the impact of the antitrust suits that have been launched, you know, even if they're not, even if they don't win, even if regulators don't win against these companies, the effect of antitrust being such a thing for the tech industry is already having an effect over and above the fact that, as we described, the tech giants are battling each other and there are new sources of competition. So, for instance, you know, the, the companies, the giants will not be able really to buy small competitors anymore. So you're going to get these little firms um, being left on their own to grow to a much greater extent. So it, it's one of those things where you don't even have to have antitrust come in and kind of do massively dramatic things like breaking up one of the companies to have an effect. There's already an effect. And what might happen further out? Well, if you get the sort of the the, the other T-Rexes, you know, the other big beasts, the, the most well-funded, you know, the companies with the most talented people, the deepest pockets, the most aggressive strategies. If you get one of those coming after you, you know, maybe we'll even see one of the tech giants really getting marginalized or even pushed out of the top five. Because if you think about their resources, you know, and if Amazon trains, you know, many, many billions on Google and digital advertising, you know, it could really supplant it. If Google decides to carry on plowing its digital advertising riches into the cloud, it could stop Azure really succeeding. So the stakes are really high. And so I think it, there's, there's quite a lot of unpredictability about what happens to these giants over, over time. Is it generally understood, Tamsin, that uh, regulators either here or in Europe abroad would not allow one of the big five to shack up with another one? Say Amazon decides to pair up with, I don't know, I don't know what permutation it is. Clearly not Facebook or Google, but one that is tangentially related. I mean, no, you, you described that they're all intimately related in one another's businesses. But suppose, say, Microsoft wants to buy a Facebook. Would that immediately reflexively be knocked down? Robin, I think it's absolutely unthinkable at this point that that, that, that kind of thing would be allowed. No, no, I can't see that at all. And, you know, I hardly mentioned it, but it's also a juggernaut. China, uh, you know, which, which Huawei, uh, which in terms of the guts of the phones and the 5G infrastructure and everything, China has these absolutely dominant e-commerce and internet and payments players there. 
And, you know, you go to a CVS drugstore in the United States or a Walgreens and you see the Alipay logo, you could theoretically pay with the Alibaba type payment system. Um, the mood is not ripe for affiliations between the United States and China uh, national tech champions, but could that potentially happen over time? Or do you see this market opening up to more interaction between the two countries? As you say, there's, there's plenty of ways in which we do not want to emulate China. Um, however, big tech competition is an exception to that. The, the way in which China, particularly Alibaba and Tencent, just go at each other in all aspects of their business is, is something that it would be good and healthy to see the American tech giants follow um, in, the, in the path of. So, and I think that is really the expectation that there is a kind of model there in China for all of these firms to be really going after each other. But you also have a bit of kind of, you know, some, some less good stuff going on there, which is, for instance, Alibaba and Tencent have big stakes in a lot of the up and coming tech firms. And so sure enough, you know, China's um, regulators have been, have been looking pretty closely at antitrust um, in their um, tech landscape also. And I have to ask you, um, what is going to be the next shiny technology that everybody covets? If if suddenly, you know, teleconferencing and working from home remote and Peloton, that's one that I didn't mention that just kind of came out of nowhere. Is it going to be virtual reality of which, you know, Facebook has a, a big beachhead? Is is there something kind of lurking around the corner that that grabs your attention that these major players and the you know, the dozens of people that you interviewed are saying, keep your eye on this technology or this breakthrough. Well, well this is yet another plank of our argument is that the, the place where these companies really go after each other is in the so-called points of control over the consumer that they believe are going to emerge in future. And that's, so that is around, I mean, it's, it's, it's what is the next computing platform going to be? Is it going to be virtual reality, autonomous vehicles, smart speakers? And, you know, that's where the competition is going to be fiercest. I, I'm not going to make any big predictions. It seems to me like virtual reality is, is something we're very much in need of at the moment. But you do close the essay in saying, the presumption that the tech giants are either colluding to divvy up the planet's digital pie or carefully steering clear of each other is no longer right. Many people would, of course, prefer to see more than a handful of firms slug it out for the modern economy's critical digital markets. Still, so long as they truly are slugging it out, that is good news for everyone else. So you grab a thing of popcorn or I don't know what the Brits like to have with, uh, you know, cucumber chips or something with this thing. It, it is getting nasty. I mean, I'm, I'm very curious to see how Apple dukes it out with Facebook, for example. As this thing rolls out, are they going to keep crying foul? Are they going to say you're depriving small businesses? Is another player going to come to Facebook's rescue? Are people going to pile on to Facebook? Uh, there's, a, there's a lot of schadenfreude in this, let me say. Absolutely. And it, it's, it, I, I personally much prefer to hear them, um, you know, critiquing each other and taking each other down than, um, than colluding, that's for sure. Um, and this, it is just, it's just really fun to hear them behind the scenes having a good bitch about each other. And they really do do that. And I mean, just in case you didn't know, you probably you probably do, but there's the sort of among them, it's like there's Apple and Microsoft, the most venerable firms, um, the oldest kind of really well established with the mm. with um, you know enterprise software, hardware, 
they consider themselves in one group. And then they look at Google and Amazon as the sort of really scary, aggressive ones. And then Facebook is kind of in a category of its own um, because they're so unpredictable. I mean, it's the last of the tech giants that is founder led. So that's how the that's how the kind of um, the hierarchy works. And I can assure you that behind the scenes, when you talk to them, there's not much love lost between these companies. It's a, a sort of a nervous um, respect, I would say, um, tinged with plenty of fear. And you'll notice for everybody listening to the show that not once did we mention Sony. I know you were a Tokyo reporter back in the day. Not once did we mention Hewlett Packard, some of the old incumbents of yesteryear, IBM. Uh, things happen really in warp speed in, in Techland. Um, you know, dominance turning into obsolescence. So I highly recommend this read, Tech's Big Dust Up. It is the February 27th to March 5th cover of The Economist. The overseeing editor and correspondent, Tamsin Booth, technology and business editor, joined us from London. As you know, uh, you are always welcome on this show. Robin, it's been fun. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Full disclosure, this week's show was produced and edited by Claire Morgan at Notterly. Enjoy Full Disclosure as a podcast on NPR One, on Spotify, and on Apple at linkfulldradio.com. Please subscribe and rate us. And follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Full D Radio. Hello to our radio listeners in the Washington Beltway area, in Southern California, and in gorgeous Asheville, North Carolina. I'm Robin Farzad. Thank you for listening. Back with you next week. 